Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Notice that phrase. And he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And you know, I bet he thought, well, hey, maybe God doesn't really want me to go to Nineveh. Here's this ship, and it says he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? Notice his reply, verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may grow or may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And verse 17, we won't elaborate much on this verse today, more next week, but we stop with this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. Lord, what we know not, teach us. We have not, give us. What we are not, make us. 
It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last week we discussed how some view this section of Scripture as parable. Some think it's fiction or outright lies. Those of us who know and understand that God's Word is true, we know that most likely this story is not parable. We do not believe it to be fiction, but historic truth that even Christ Himself authenticated. Those of us who say that we believe in the historical accuracy of Scripture, though, still sometimes have a tendency to look at a story like this as simply a story. It's nothing more than just a cute, nice little story. But the truth is, and I want us to know and understand this, the truth is that even the Old Testament and the stories that we find there, even the ancient literature intersects with our daily Christian lives. If you know where to look, and I tell you this constantly, you can see Jesus on every page. And if you know how to look, this book is a mirror and it will reveal to you your own heart and it will show you things about yourself that you did not know and did not understand. Russell Meek, in an article for a ministry called For the Church, writes these words. He says, the opening words in this unusual prophetic book prime us to expect that we, what we typically see in the Old Testament. God's word comes, God's prophet obeys. It's the pattern with Moses, Nathan, David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. God speaks, prophets do what he says. Jonah, though, does just the opposite of what God says, deciding instead that he would flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And then the writer of this article adds in, LOL. And I think that's the perfect way to summarize what Jonah is attempting to do and a great way to respond. How cute. That you think you can flee away from the presence of a sovereign God. Here's some thoughts from last week that we'll quickly recap. Jonah's called to preach. He openly rebels. We know the story. He's swallowed by a giant fish. Yes, it seems fanciful. Fanciful. It seems impossible. It seems outlandish, but not without the scope of reality. You see, anything, if we believe what we say we believe about our God, this miracle is not too big for him. We talked about the fact that this story symbolizes a type of the life of Christ, his death and his resurrection. We talked about how this entire account was authenticated by Christ in two different gospel accounts. He spoke of it as being real, historic, and accurate. And that this study is extremely fitting in light of the world that we live in today when men can't decide what their gender is, when we can't even answer what a woman is. We see in today's text several principles that I hope will encourage you. We see God's desire to save sinners. We see the rebellion in Jonah's heart and even in our own. We see the prophet corrected by God, and then we see at the very end a reversal of roles as 
the predator becomes prey. The fish is not the one caught, but the running prophet. So let's see what this text teaches us as we dig into the scriptures and go verse by verse. And if we begin at the very beginning, our first point is this. God desires to save sinners. As the story opens, God calls his servant. And there's a good reason for that. The clock has started counting down for Nineveh. Years ago, every Monday night, our family would get together around the TV and we'd watch a little something called 24. Maybe you're familiar with Jack Bauer. He was played by a gentleman named Kiefer Sutherland. And that program would start with a ticking clock counting down a 24-hour time period. And as I was thinking about God's call to Jonah, I saw that countdown clock. Word of their wickedness has reached the ears of the Almighty. He knows what's going on in their city. He knows what's going on in their hearts. Nothing is outside of the view of our great God. And so a countdown clock has begun. And in verse 2, God says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now when he says great, that doesn't mean it was a magnificent city. It doesn't necessarily mean it was the nicest, but it was a very large city. There were many people there. People who did not know the Lord. People who were wrapped up in wickedness and evil. And because of God's great desire to save men and women, He calls His prophet to go to a wicked place. In chapter 3, in verse 2, He tells him again, Arise, go out to Nineveh, call out against that great city. The message that I tell you in chapter 3 and verse 4, it says, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the prophetic message that he was to take to the people of that city. That God is going to destroy you unless you repent and turn to him. Wickedness abound in Nineveh. And it's no different in our day. The clock is ticking on the prophetic message. Time is short, even in our day. And so that causes us to ask, well, is there any hope? We think about it in, the, in, in these terms. Is there any hope for a place like Portland? Spiritually dark and wicked. Is there any hope for a place like Seattle? Or like New York City, riddled with crime, riddled with murder? Chicago? Is there any hope for these places? Yes, it is the gospel. It is the word of the Lord because it is the word of the Lord that brings hope. And we'll see what that looks like as the story unfolds. But the one entrusted with the word of the Lord is relaxing. He's sleeping. In verse 1, he was told to get a move on. He was told to make haste and pick up the pace to head towards Nineveh. Is there a connection there for us? Are we simply relaxing? Content to let others handle the outreach of the church. Content to let others go on mission. Content to let others share the gospel. I, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to offend people. Should I just let things be, let bygones be bygones? I think we need a sense of urgency too, just as Jonah needed, because we are living in wicked days. Nineveh is no different than the world today. And the evil of this day is not unnoticed by our God. And brothers and sisters, I tell you often, God will not be mocked. 
He will not be laughed at. He will have the final say. Society seems to be on the brink of doom. The Roman Empire thought it was invincible. What makes our American Empire think that we are not invincible? As I was thinking about our world today and how quickly things have changed and how evil things have gotten, I was reminded that it's always been that way. We tend to think it's worse now, but it's always been that way. And my mind went back to something I had recently read again because I read it often and I go back to it over and again and that's the great sermon by Jonathan Edwards, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And the text that Jonathan Edwards used for that great sermon was Deuteronomy 32 and verse 35 that says, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. He also referred to Psalm 73 and verse 18. Truly, you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. And Edwards likened a lost sinner in that famous sermon to a spider dangling from a thin web above a flickering flame. And how at any moment that flame could catch that, that web and that spider would fall into the flame to his doom, to his death. And here's the words of Edwards. He says, There are the black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads, full of the dreadful storm and big with thunder. And were it not for the restraining hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God for the present stays His rough wind. Otherwise, it would come with fury and your destruction would come like a whirlwind and you would be like the chafe of the summer threshing floor. And what we have to know and understand, brothers and sisters, is that when we were formerly not in Christ, that black cloud of God's wrath hung over our heads. And if you are here today and you are not in Christ, there is a dangerous cloud storming above your head. And at any moment that storm could strike, that wind could blow, and life could come to an end. It could all come crashing down. But thanks be to God for the restraining hand of God. For the sovereign pleasure of our God, He says, that stays that rough wind. But we need to be reminded of that from time to time, to time, brothers, so that we will be reminded that our neighbors and our friends, that our family, that our loved ones are in peril and that we must take the gospel to them. That we must be a people set on mission, not fleeing from the presence of God as if we foolishly could, but running to the places He's called us to. Joyfully serving, joyfully proclaiming because our friends, our loved ones, that cloud hangs over them. But Christ dispels those storm clouds. And we see in our story today, and may we be reminded from the words of Jonathan Edwards, that God desires to save sinners. That He has a great love for mankind so much so that He sacrificed His only Son for redemption, for reconciliation. Thanks 
be to God. And so if God has a desire to see sinners come to Christ and to repent, we should have that same desire. We should be reminded today, sir, madam, you have not outrun the grace of God. You are not too far gone. Because God at this present time, as Edward says, has stayed his rough wind and you have received the gospel or heard the gospel at the very least. But the reality is that we are not guaranteed another moment, another breath, and we must settle with Christ today or risk settling with him on the last day. And on that day, it will be shocking and there will be no payment available for your penalty. God desires to save sinners even today, just as He did in Nineveh centuries ago. He has a great love for His creation. But the second thing that we see in our text is that even prophets can have a rebellious heart. And sometimes pagans pray. You say, that's an interesting point. Well, let's dig in and let's find out what we mean here. The first thing we see in our text is a scared prophet. Verse 3, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. A stark contrast here. God desires to save sinners, but Jonah desires self-preservation. He doesn't want to go to Nineveh because he knows that his message or he believes that his message will not be received, that it will fall on deaf ears, and that he might even lose his life for his gospel proclamation. But he had no excuse because the text says clearly that he heard God's word. He knew who was speaking and he was very unsure about this calling, so he runs. He felt that Nineveh's citizens weren't worthy of hearing the word of Yahweh. Now in actuality, Tarshish was east, so Jonah is fleeing east because Nineveh is west of where he is. But notice the text in verse 3, it says, He went down to Joppa. And one author has stated that a journey from God's presence is a journey downward. Let me say that again, a journey away from God's presence is a journey Downward, You cannot outrun or hide from God, but you can lead yourself down to destruction. Here we see this former national hero, one who had previously obeyed. He had previously delivered a, a victorious prophetic message. And now he's fleeing from his God. He's running away from the face of the Lord. What do we learn from this? What does it teach us? Faith is measured by acts of piety and trust. Not by past history. Not by ancestry. Not by nationality or any other measuring stick. Spurgeon said it like this. Precepts, not providence, are a guide to believers. Precepts, not providence, are a guide to believers. Well, here I am in this ship, God. Maybe you weren't so inclined for me to, to go to Nineveh. You, you opened this door for me, and so I'll just come down here in the bottom of this ship, and I'll fall asleep. This has got to be providence, Jonah was thinking. But he was running from the precepts of the Lord. He was running from the word of the Lord, and so he pit God against himself. Well, do I follow God's word, or do I follow God's providence? We can't do that, because it's God's precepts that are a guide to believers. 
Not only do we see a scared prophet, but we see praying pagans in verse 4 through 6. Notice verse 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break. A new captain takes over the ship. Remember, Jonah isn't the main character. The Hebrew word orders this, this sentence in such a way that Yahweh is squarely in the center of it. God is squarely, and word order is an important structure in the Hebrew language. And so God is the center. God is the main character. And in verse 5, the mariners, the sailors were afraid, it says. And each cried out to his God. Now notice next, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it. But Jonah had gone down into the innermost part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. Down in the bowels of the ship, still thinking that God can't see. Content to sleep through the tempest. And so the sailor responds, what do you mean, you sleeper? What are you doing, in essence, is what he's saying. Call out to your God. Notice the little g there. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may perish. Now, this had nothing to do with Yahweh. More of a shot in the dark for the pagan sailors. Maybe whoever your God is, He will hear, He will listen. Hey, we need to cover every base, the captain says. And you know, an important point for us is that can be a starting point. Because sometimes faith will show itself in surprising ways, even amongst people who don't meet the qualifications that you and I set up. In verse 7, they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come up. And so they cast lots and they fell to Jonah. Tell us, how has this evil come upon us? What's your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who's responsible for this? Verse 9, Jonah says, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, he didn't give them all the details, but he had not forgotten who he was. And even though he's attempting to foolishly flee from the presence of the Lord, he still knew who his God was. And I think it's beautiful here, even in the midst of this rebellion from our prophet, that he still proclaims the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Well... That frightened the sailors. And we see in verse 10 that they began to go into a, a fit of panic. You knew how powerful your God was and what He was capable of, yet you still fled. You ran from Him anyway. Are you a fool, they ask Him? And so they begin to seek a solution for safety. And in their solution, in verse 11, they said to Him, What shall we do? And Jonah says, Well, hey, throw me over. If you throw me into the sea, God will honor that. I'm the reason. I'm the one at fault. Throw me into the sea and it will quiet down. And I can understand them not wanting to follow that approach. Who wants to throw a person you don't even know into a tempestuous, raging sea? Unless you're a psycho. Unless you're a serial killer. Unless you've watched one too many of those documentaries on, on Netflix or Hulu. I like some of those documentaries, but hey, sometimes that stuff can affect you. You can get too dark. <laughs> and so they're seeking this solution for safety. They begin to try to row back to the shore, but it's to no avail. Remember, a new captain has taken over the ship. God is in control and he will have his way. And in verse 14, they call out to the Lord. 
Lord, don't let us perish for this man's life. Don't lay his blood on us. Don't hold us accountable for his actions. There's a principle we learned there too that God knew the guilty party. As we read in Deuteronomy, vengeance is God's and He knows all. And He always knows the guilty party. He knows the guilt and the sin in our lives. But He also knows the innocent. And thank God He cares for those who are innocent and shows them a path to safety. What a turn of events. Pagan sailors fearing God and calling out to the God of heaven. Yet a prophet of God running away, refusing to pray. MacArthur said it like this, heathen sailors had more concern for one man than Jonah had for tens of thousands. The storm, Jonah's words, and the lots all indicated to the sailors that the Lord was involved. Thus they offered sacrifices to him and made vows, indicating Jonah had told them more about God than is recorded here. God desires to save sinners. Even prophets can have Rebellious hearts, sometimes pagans, pray. But our third point today is that God chastises those whom He loves. Brothers and sisters, hear that again. God chastises those whom He loves. Sometimes we need God's correcting discipline in our lives. Sometimes we need God's loving discipline and we need to know and understand that His discipline is always loving. It may not feel loving to us. When I was a child and my father would, would flip that belt off and pop my rear end with it, it didn't feel good. But the outcome was good. The outcome was a good thing. And God, our Father, sometimes has to take us to the woodshed and discipline us, His children. But it is a loving thing. Verse 15, they picked up Jonah, they hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. What stopped the storm from raging? Obedience to God. What caused the storm to rage, brothers and sisters? Disobedience to God. And sometimes your storms are caused by your own disobedience. I know folks that they go around looking for the devil every corner. Hey, the devil's doing this. The devil's fighting me here. No, sometimes it's your own fault. Sometimes it's because you will not heed to God's word. We put way too much blame on the devil. We blame him for things that aren't his fault at all. Hebrews 12 and 6 teaches us this same principle where it says the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Thanks be to God for it. Because we need to learn to see the discipline of God as loving kindness, not wrath. Sometimes God has to save us from, himself, from ourselves. Sometimes we need loving discipline, but oftentimes God sends storms with a greater purpose. Verse 16, Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. The storm scared them. Jonah's confession terrified them. What happens next in the story? They pray, they believed, and God brought them to a place of worship. Now we know nothing else about these sailors beyond this. We don't know if they truly repented of their sins and perhaps fell in line and worshipped the God of the Bible all their days. But what we do see in this story is that they're brought to a place of worship. They're brought to a place where they see the truth. They see God high and lifted up. 
God used even Jonah's disobedience to bring salvation to others. His discipline, this great storm, had a purpose. And it goes back to our first point that we see God's great desire to save sinners. And His plan will not be foiled. He will accomplish what He intends to do. Thanks be to God that He chastises those of us whom He loves and He even takes our messes and makes beautiful things come out of them. Let's wrap it up with this conclusion, a reversal of roles. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Again, our main character takes action. Notice that verse, the Lord appointed. This will not be the last time in our story that God sovereignly orders and arranges things. This will not be the last time that God sets things right and He orders Jonah's steps. But I think it's interesting here in the very end of this story, and we're not going to dig into this this verse in great detail. We'll dig in more next week. God is pursuing this fleeing prophet just as He is pursuing the lost sinners of Nineveh. And so the predator becomes a prey. Normally it's, it's the human on the bank shore or on the pier or in the boat holding that fishing line, dangling it in front of a fish trying to catch a giant, to catch a whale. But this time the prophet is caught. The fish catches Jonah and that's where we stop for the week. But what have we learned? God desires to save those who are away from Him. Even prophets can have a rebellious heart just as we can. Sometimes pagans pray and God chastises those whom He loves. But what else can we deduce? Well, brothers and sisters, when a sovereign God sends you, you better listen. If He tells you to go, you better go. We know that He will use unexpected means to accomplish His purposes we see that He delivers His people even when they obey, disobey. Excuse me. And we see that even those who you may consider to be the worst of sinners can respond to God's power and they can come to a place of worship, a place of devotion. And so I want to encourage you today not to write people off, not to count them as too far gone, to know and understand today that God is able to save. So I want to ask you, will you renew your commitment to the gospel today? Will you renew your commitment to His purpose, to His mission for your life? Commit yourself to His word, to His precepts, to the word of the Lord that we have and are able to hold in our hands. Trent Butler in the Holman Old Testament commentary shares this little snippet. I want to close with it today. He writes that Charles Stanley in The Wonderful Spirit-Filled Life, which is a book that he wrote many years ago, tells of his photographing experience on the small island in the Bahamas. He was near the small commercial port where salt ships docked to load their cargo. Three 50-foot-high posts were lined up several yards apart on one side of the loading area. 
Since the posts were on land rather than in water, Stanley had a hard time figuring out what they were. Finally, he asked a local person about the posts, and he learned that the water in the channel is too shallow for the large salt boats to enter. The boats must make their way to the dock through one long, narrow channel. And as the ship's captain enters the harbor, he aligns the three posts so that his pers- from his perspective, they are in a straight line, letting him see only one post. And then he knows he is in the deep channel and can safely maneuver to the dock. He writes that God had to teach Jonah a lesson. One also connected with the sea. Jonah had to learn the danger of trying to maneuver his life to suit his feelings and needs rather than aligning himself to God and His will. So we must learn that we cannot pick the mission to accomplish for God. We have to align our own lives with God, listen for His message to us, and steer ourselves only where He leads. God does not call us to determine what we want to do and then ask Him to bless our choices. Mission for God is not a smorgasbord of choices. It is a command to join God where He is at work. And so as we close today, brothers and sisters, I ask you, will you join God where He is at work? Will you join the church of God where we are about the business of God, where we are faithfully executing and doing the work of the Lord. Join God, because I tell you today, He is at work. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There, you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.